it going, Philip? Uh, not bad, not bad. We're finally back indoors. We are indoors, and it's uh, already getting sweaty in here, buddy. Yeah, it is. I know. <laughs> Windows closed, heating's on, but it was like minus two last night here. Yeah, it was. When I stepped out of the car when I pulled in here, um, I actually like broke ice. And I was yeah. like, well, so much for patio sessions. Well, <laughs> you know, this is a special edition of a patio session, and I'm, I'm going to say why in a moment here. But, rebranded, right? <laughs> uh, a little bit rebranded, but uh, I think we have to continue doing the patio sessions. Once it starts snowing, I think uh, we'll call them snowbank talks or talks from the snowbank or something like that. Mm, mm, musings from the snowbank. Musings from the snowbank. But uh, for today, for the special patio session that we have in this fall, November, cold, uh, we're going to call this uh, simply a chat. Simply a chat. Because with us today on the line already, we have Anthony von Dessauer, creator, host, uh, voice, um, animator, so many titles, and we'll we'll get through all that, but of uh, The Curse of Silver Lake. Anthony, welcome to Semi-Intellectual Musings. Thank you very much, Matt and Phil. It's an honor to be on here, man. <laughs> well, not an honor. Like, let's take it easy, man. Like, oh. it's, we're happy to have you on, too. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> it, it is an amusement to be on here. <laughs> there you go. That's better. Uh, well, it's an honor for us to have you. Uh, Anthony, uh, you are the creator of The Curse of Silver Lake. It is an audio drama podcast. Uh, in, like, 30 seconds or more, uh, tell our listeners what they can expect uh, if they tune in, when they tune in to The Curse of Silver Lake. Well, The Curse of Silver Lake is a dramatization of an RPG campaign between my friends and I. So it's a high fantasy story based off of uh, what people would call like Dungeons and Dragons. And instead of recording an actual play, we write a script, we do character voices, put background music, sound effects, and create a nice little audio drama. It's interesting. Um, so I honestly just started listening to your podcast, your brilliant show. I don't even know if you can call it a podcast. Um, a few days ago when we knew that you were having you on and I was blown away. It, I, I wrote a quick Facebook review, which is something that I never really do, um, saying that it was way better than I expected. And what I expected was a, a D&D podcast. Right. And I know you've um, been on another show where you talked a little bit about this, but I was wondering if you could um, distinguish your show from some of the other D&D um, dice throwing kind of uh, shows that are out there. Absolutely. So a pretty popular uh, trend in podcasting is what's called actual plays or live plays. And it's where people set up microphones around a table and they mic all the players and the DM and record while they're actually playing the game. And there's a lot of them and they range in quality. Um, if you're into D and D and RPGs, they're enjoyable. Uh, how our show differs is we're not doing that at all. We actually play the game in uh, play by post and, uh, we, we can get into that a little bit deeper, but essentially we end up with a bunch of uh, messages. And then what I do is I put all those messages together and I write a script and we turn our campaign into an audio drama. So it's completely different from a live play. It's, it's uh, a storytelling experience. Now I've heard you speak before on this, but for our listeners, um, the curse of silver Lake is based on a homebrew tabletop game that you created. Is that right? That, yeah, that's correct. So uh, 
uh, tabletop RPGs for people who don't know what that is. It's essentially uh, you get together with your buddies and you have uh, content. It can be high fantasy like Tolkien, or it can be science fiction like Star Trek or Star Wars. It's set in some kind of fantasy world. And you have uh, one individual who is referred to as like the game master or the dungeon master. And essentially they're the, um, they kind of start off the story and they tell the other players what's going on. And then those players respond to it. And what happens is you create a collaborative story as you're playing where nobody really knows what the outcome is going to be. My friends and I used to do this when we were younger and now we're all grown up and we have jobs and families and we don't live next to each other. So we can't get together in person. So what we do is called play by post. So I started a Facebook group. I invited my friends and we do the same thing as I described before, but it's all over Facebook. So I'll just create a post and I'll say, Hey, you guys are, you're in the forest. There's some monsters. And then when they have time, they come, they read the message, and then they take their they take their turn and they decide what they're going to do, and that's how we play. So when you say, because I've heard this term a lot, uh, high fantasy, um, you're talking like wizards and dragons and that sort of like feel. Like is that that's how your show is is sort of um, geared, I guess? Yeah. Well, so in fiction, fantasy typically. Uh, refers to a medieval type setting. So high fantasy is Tolkien-esque, where there's going to be fantastic characters um, and monsters, trolls, dragons, wizards, stuff like that. Um, I don't know if anybody uses the term low fantasy, but if they just say fantasy... <laughs> like dirty then, fantasy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, then it's the just, low brow um, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, then it, it takes place in the same like historical period, but without magic and elves and dwarves, that sort of thing. Oh, now, okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, The Curse of Silver Lake does have some of those elements, but I feel like you've purposefully put your own twist on high fantasy and incorporated some new elements to make it different than a regular D&D sort of uh, play. Yeah. Uh, the Curse of Silver Lake was built from the ground up by me. Um, my friends and I have a certain play style. I know what we like to do and how we like to, to role play, how we like to, you know, do that collective storytelling experience. So I created a game that was tailored towards what we're interested in doing. And all these tabletop RPGs, they have like a common core system of how they work. So if you understand that system, you can play D and D or you can play any of the other ones that are published, or you can just make your own. So what's I an example on it? What's an example of one of those kind of core elements that you've brought into your podcast, your audio drama? Um, well, the element of chance. So we do dice rolling. So for example, with, uh, what I was talking about before, let's say I explain, okay, you're in the woods, it's the three of you and here comes a troll and one of the players decides, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to shoot him with my bow and arrow. That action doesn't automatically happen. There's a dice roll and if they roll low, they miss. If they roll high, they score a hit. And that's part of the dynamic aspect of role-playing is, so I tell the story, 
the players react to the story that I tell, and then the dice enter in an element of chance, so neither of us really knows how it turns out. So in that example, let's say he rolls low, the arrow misses the troll, then it moves on to the next player, and let's say they all miss. Well, then the troll charges them, and one of them could get hurt or killed. So the story could go in that direction. Or let's say he rolls high and he hits the troll. Now the troll is wounded, so it's more likely that they'll be able to defeat the troll. And then after that encounter happens, the story moves on from that point. So all this takes place online, right? Like, do you use Facebook or Twitter or like, how does this, um, what was it called? Like, um, oh, sorry, the play by post. post. Um, Yeah. How does that, the mechanics of it actually, where does that take place? So I created a Facebook page. It's actually a public page. So anybody can like our page and actually like watch this happening. Um, I essentially created the page, uh, the curse of silver Lake. And what I'll do is I'll start a new thread, a new post. And I'll just write where the players are and what's going on. And then I let my players know. Then they come in and they respond to whatever I've written. And then from that point forward, it's all a notification system. So every time I post the next thing that happens, they get notified. So then they can come in and respond whenever they have time. So even though you're writing this, like like the end product is is your product, the actual writing itself is also collaborative and the gameplay and the sort of the directions that the narrative will take are all a collaborative process as well. Yeah, absolutely. The so at your when you're creating let me see how to phrase this here. So I created Silver Lake and I developed a storyline and kind of a plot. And the characters are going to start here and there's going to be bad guys. And then hopefully it'll end up here. And the players, as they make decisions, I have to respond to the decisions they make. And the story changes dynamically, like on the fly. If they end up making a decision that I didn't account for, I have to kind of change the world around it so where you start and where you think you're going to end up is never the same so it's a it's kind of like the jazz of story playing it's just like improvised storytelling that's cool man that's a good that's a really cool way to put it yeah Yeah. i i love that description of the jazz of storytelling um but i want to bring us back a little bit uh for the benefit of our listeners And I want to hear you talk a little bit about the show, about the story behind it, like the story that happens uh, in the game. Now, there are the Volitnikovs that are in a world or in a town called Silver Lake. This, the game that we're playing now is kind of an extension off of the storytelling, the mythology that occurred when we played as like, you know, adolescents and teenagers. So uh, we played when we were younger and when I set up the curse of silver Lake, I pulled a lot of that, a lot of that information on a lot of those stories to build this new world. So the Volitnikovs are an adventurer's guild and they're world renowned as like great heroes that do awesome things. Right. And the story begins 
where the uh, the leader of the Volitnikovs decides that there's trouble brewing in Silver Lake. And so- Silver Lake is like the northernmost territory of the region that we play in. But they don't have any Volitnikovs to send up there, and they don't have a guild hall up in Silver Lake. So they recruit three new adventurers to go up to Silver Lake and start a guild hall so they can help the people of Silver Lake with all the trouble that they're having. That's interesting. It's almost like uh, imperialism. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Maybe I'm a cynic, but uh, it sounds like imperialism. I'm going to go establish a base up here <laughs> and quote unquote, help these people. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so, I mean, we are talking, you know, like the like the 1200s, so. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, politics are politics, king, There's man. kings and emperors. <laughs> but no, this is why I never got invited to D&D games, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you'd be great. Uh, so the campaign that we're currently hearing on the podcast is, are you uh, still playing it or has that campaign ended? No, this campaign has ended. I'm trying to figure figure out the best way. So this campaign has ended. So we started playing online and it was just like, uh, I was just kind of winging it. Right. I just put together a simple rule set and we just started doing it and we had a lot of fun. And as I was, as we were doing it, my buddy and one of the players, Daniel Dye, we decided to start doing the podcast. So the combination of doing a play by post game and a podcast, I realized that I was like on to something. So we finished that campaign and now I've reconstructed an entirely new Silver Lake that is more geared to play by post and more geared to make a more interesting story for, for listeners to kind of give them something new. There's, there's a lot of tropes in D and D and RPG games. Like you always got to fight the orcs or whatever, right at the beginning. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, I went through and kind of reconstructed all kinds of new, monsters a new setting like the the new version of the curse of silver lake that people aren't going to hear for a while actually takes place in kind of the wild west times and it's still high fantasies uh, but instead of like swords and and magic it's you know six shooters and magic so it's a lot of fun yeah that sounds cool man so um so you're saying that you can transport uh, the kind of mechanics, the baseline into different uh, genres, like a six-shooter kind of Western thing. Literally different worlds, right? Different worlds, yeah. but kind of keep the same overarching theme, right? Yeah. Of the Kalitnikov, uh, yeah, the Volitnikov, sorry. Yeah. Um, so is this something that is like at the heart of homebrew tabletop games? Is it at the heart? Yeah, I would absolutely say, because I mean, in the homebrew tabletop, people are kind of making up their own stuff anyways. That's the point. If you wanted to play D&D, you would play D&D. But the reason you do a homebrew is because you want the role-playing experience, but you want something to be a little bit different. And that difference could be, you know what? I I, I don't want to fight orcs. I want to be on a starship. Or I want to play a game that's inspired you know, more like some piece of fiction that I like, like maybe I want to play in an avatar world or maybe anything you want. And while there are other game systems out there that may cover those things, 
you, instead of going and doing that, if you understand the core mechanics of a tabletop RPG and you have the time and you're willing, you just create it yourself. And it also sounds like you're less inclined to go rule check, back check the rules and follow the sort of structure that someone else had thought about. And you're more immersed in the storytelling. Is that, has that been your kind of experience? Yeah, you're definitely more committed to the storytelling experience because you've created it as opposed to reading it from a module. It's more loose. So if you're playing D&D and you're playing their module of like the Curse of Strahd or something, it's literally a book. Yeah, so sure. you kind of fill, you have, follow along and fill in the gaps kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's, that, so it's the the, play- rolling the dice is what might change it up a little bit, but it's basically a story arc that is already established, right? Yeah, and if the players stray, then the DM has to like pull them back onto the plot. So with the homebrew, at least the homebrew that I created, I create the world and I have an idea of what I want to happen, but the players can kind of free roam. Okay, so and so sorry, this is like this brings me exactly to the point I wanted to raise with you. You mentioned that your world is like dynamic, right? And it's kind of on the fly, depending on the roll of the dice, right? And that's something that I, I think is really important in a narrative, like a rich narrative, I would call it. Because that's why I listen to your podcast, is because it's a very full, rich narrative, right? Um, I was wondering, like, so this dynamic nature of it, it comes because it's collaborative, right? And then there's also chance playing in there. But I thought it was also interesting that you mentioned that you pull from the past, like you're you're pulling like ideas for your story and um, the structure of it from the games you played with your buddies when you were like, say teenagers or in your early twenties or something. And I think that's really interesting, man, because all good writers do that. All good writers pull from the past to construct their narratives. Um, So I don't know if like, it's not really a question. It's more of a grand statement, but unpack that if you could. (laughs) Um, Sure. (laughs) And actually if, if you're listening to the curse of silver lake i don't want to spoil things too much but there's there's at the end of episode six our players our heroes find themselves in a compromising situation according to how i wrote the story and the plot that wasn't supposed to happen oh that's perfect i i yeah i was supposed i had set it up so there was this thing that happened. They went and investigated the thing. And then they were supposed to collaborate with the town constable. Who's like the police. They're supposed to collaborate with him and go and figure it out. Hmm. They didn't do that because the way I set up the narrative, I guess I just created a, uh, a non-player character, which is a character that's not played by the players. I created a non-player character in such a way that my players felt extremely loyal to him <laughs> and they, and they did not want to betray him in any way. So instead of helping the constable, they ended up incarcerated and the result of that decision that the players made completely changed the entire world of silver Lake through my whole campaign. My whole plot just threw it out the window and I had to, uh, make those decisions. Okay, well, this is what happened. So now I got to change this and now I got to change that completely change the story. And that's what's interesting about this collaborative approach that you have. And the the chance that comes in is that you never really know what direction the narrative is going to take. 
And that's what, to me, makes it so rich. And also, just for the listeners, like, again, this is not like your standard D&D podcast where you hear people, like, throwing dice and there's a lot of dead air. This is a narrative that is um, built on the mechanics of D&D. But it's, it's like, it's a story, right? So, like, I was listening, I, I think I'm in the middle of episode three only, right? And I already realized I need to go back and listen to the first and second one as well just to get all the details. And that's what I actually really appreciate about this show is that it's rich and it's full of details. So um, kudos. I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) That's welcome to our podcast, man. I always have dead ends and rabbit holes. So Bill, what do you got? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, okay. I'll go on to my next question, which is kind of related to this one. Uh, You know, you do this thing where you bring... Uh, the cast, uh, the players, into very specific situations. And then just when you think that there's enough detail, coloring, I I, I feel, Anthony, you add another layer. And I'm going to give you an example to this. In one of uh, the episodes, the players go into a pub or a bar called the Dirty Mushroom. <laughs> That's and, awesome. Yeah, uh, <laughs> See, there's one layer right there. I'm laughing. They encounter a whole group of drinking halflings and um you really get the sense like i was immersed in the story um you know i could see myself kind of sitting in the corner with a a pint that was bigger than me laughing along with the 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 hobbits um where does that kind of inspiration come from to put players into this you know such a dynamic atmosphere it comes from doing it um so the more you do it the more you do anything, the richer that experience becomes, right? Like learning how to play guitar at first, it's like twinkle, twinkle, little star. (laughs) And then 20 years down the road, you play twinkle, twinkle, little star. But now it's just this improvised melody. Jimi Hendrix version of. (laughs) Exactly. Precisely. And that's what that is. And as you play the game, you start to develop the cultures of, let's say halflings, for example, and the player just by the interactions and the way the players feel, or maybe at one point a player played a halfling. So those things get added to the collective mythology of the world that we built. So you fast forward and now, uh, you know, Bobber, Darieth, and Solo have entered the dirty mushroom and I take all that halfling culture that we created and I stick it in there, and that's how you get those layers of experience. They go in there for a certain purpose, but then you you get those layers that you were talking about. It just kind of happens. As as like an anthropologist, like layers of experience, culture, like you're hitting on all my my happy buttons there, man. So <laughs> I think that's probably uh, why I like the show so much because it's layered. Yeah. Well, when I if if I ever come up with my uh, player's handbook where I sit and like actually write all this stuff down, all these culture, you'll you'll probably really dig that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. So that technical aspect brings me to another question that I had. Um, you are a player. You're a writer. Uh, I'm gonna label you as like a visionist because you have to envision these sorts of of, of worlds that carry different. Um, I'm going to call it morality or different ethics than our own that we might have on earth. Obviously there's a a mirroring that happens. Um, But you're also a podcast producer. Like that's a lot of hats for one show. Um, What, tell us a little bit about, you know, the work 
because uh, listening to the episodes, I can tell there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. Um, but tell us a little bit about kind of like your workflow or how you actually put it together. So putting it together takes forever. And that's why I don't do a weekly show. <laughs> yeah. Bill's I, chuckling because my... he does it for our show, right? So, And I've seen like personally firsthand the work that he puts in and then the final product. And a lot of people will listen to our final products and be like, oh yeah, that was good or whatever. Like it was interesting. He threw some sound <laughs> effects in, but it's like, no, it takes like tens of hours. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, he... I just, I got a lot of love for you producers. <laughs> <laughs> I we I, I appreciate that you understand the complexity of it because I do all of those things that you just talked about. But then the audio drama creation. Well, here, let me just take you step by step how this well, works. Okay? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we play the game on Facebook and we have so we play the game on Facebook and we're left with a bunch of messages, right? Where we've told the story, we played the game on Facebook. So now we have all these posts and we're talking hundreds, hundreds of posts. So I take all that stuff, I copy and paste it and then I pare it down and I get rid of all like the ancillary, just completely useless information. And then I have to like pick out the, what happened you know, the, the core of what happened during that session of gameplay. And then I have to write that into a script. So you can progress then the we'll, actual narrative, right? Exactly. Yep. And it's, it's writing, it's writing a script, but instead of it coming like completely from, it's like four people wrote a script and it's yep. all mess. It's like four cats wrote a script. Yeah. And there's you know, layers of this script as well. I imagine <laughs> there's the narrative itself, but then there's also the mechanics of what happens in each scene. Right. And those are the battle scenes where you're throwing dice and stuff. Right. So there's like exactly. multiple narratives. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to remove the mechanics as much as possible. That's I what I appreciate on. about your show, man. That's what I appreciate about your show. And that's, what's going to have crossover appeal. I'm just going to say that right now. Sorry. Yeah, go on. Okay. Now, I, I totally agree. Because like in first, uh, one of you gentlemen mentioned that you're at episode three. At episode one, there's a fight scene where it's our heroes and one bad guy. And when I wrote that, it was play for play, right? And that worked fine because oh. it's just three heroes and one bad guy. So I can tell, I can write, read, and produce everything that happened, and it's fine. By the time we get to episode three, it's our three main heroes. It's all of their like henchmen and they're facing off with like a dozen bad guys. And if I sit and tell you every sword swing and every miss, it's going to be like a three hour podcast <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's not going to make sense or be very interesting. It's not a story. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like listening to somebody tell you about their day, you know? So I got to cut all that stuff out and I have to, instead I have to say, okay, our guys were here. They're fighting these guys. So I know the beginning. I know the end. The end is they won. So in between the beginning and the end of that battle, what interesting and significant things happened? Well, there was one part where a guy did like an amazing strike and killed two goblins in one swipe. Okay. That's staying in. There was one part where uh, Darieth got, you know, hit in the shoulder with an arrow and almost died. Okay, that's staying in. And then construct that into the actual story that's going to be the part of that episode. Hmm. 
So it's like inadvertently, like if a character gets killed off, it's like you got to kind of adapt to it. And yeah, that's that's, that's actually kind of interesting. Um, I had a question I, I actually wanted to ask you. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about um, your friend who's the actor who does a lot yeah. of the voices on the show? A- absolutely. Um, I think that's like a really interesting asset. And I think it really adds to the show because you almost have a, you basically have a professional voice yeah, actor Dan- on your show. Daniel Dye, he he carries the show with his amazing performance and the show just wouldn't be the curse of silver Lake without him. So that script that I was talking about that I write, once I have that written, I record the narrative and all the character voices I send to him. So every single character voice you hear in the curse of silver Lake is voiced by my good friend. Who's, who's one of the players of the game. Uh, Daniel Dye. And That's interesting. He, I, I thought you um, contributed some voices. I didn't actually know that. So um, if when you talk to him next, give him uh, some kudos for us because he does a fantastic job. I had no idea. I he, thought that was two voices going. Yeah, He does every single voice except for the narrative. Sometimes in the story, if there's like a letter being written or, or if a character, if they're reading a letter, I'll just do that. So I'll go into like right, kind yeah. of a semi voice acting thing, but it's just reading a letter is like a narrative within a narrative. It's not really a character voice. So I'll just do that. But up until, up until our last episode where we had a guest star do a character voice, every single voice in the curse of silver Lake was done by Daniel die. That's that, that is impressive. So you have your, your play by play that you then select down uh, to the kind of best moments we'll say, you write the script, you have it narrated. Now you probably have a file of like, how many kind of voices does an episode have? Like how many kind of snippets are we looking at? It's completely dependent on the size of the episode and what's happening. Um, the main characters, Bobber, Dariath, and Solo will easily have dozens of lines per episode. And then the smaller like supporting characters may have, 10 or so. I think the last time I sent him a batch for like four episodes, he came back with like three or 400 different clips, different lines. That is nuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, because it's a layered show, you also have sound effects and music that you put in there, right? Yeah. So, so once he, once he does his recording and he gives it back to me, I've recorded the narrative I put all those things together and then I make the decisions of what kind of background music to put and then sound effects. Um, Episode five is probably my favorite episode. I don't want to give it away, but they have an encounter that's pretty extraordinary. And the sound effects that I put in there, I'm just so totally pleased with. And so that's, that's the last step is to, put all this stuff together, edit it out, you know, edit out all the, all the mouth breathing that I do and <laughs> all those sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like we kind of went behind the scenes, but I'm always really interested in how folks put together their shows. So when I came across yours that has so many different layers, knowing that it's kind of like a play by post, you know, I was kind of curious as to how do you get it from a, a text based thing into this like really fascinating emergent show and like we're not talking 50 minute episodes these are like hour-long episodes that you put out uh that's yeah it, it's a lot so uh 
for episodes that's about 30 minutes long, I would say collaboratively, it's probably 80 to 100 hours worth of work. That's insane. Wow. That's crazy, man. (laughs) That's so impressive. And I honestly, man, I think that's why Bill and I are so impressed by your show. The first moment we listened to it, we're like, this takes a lot of work, a lot of work. So um, like kudos and... I don't know, man. I, I'm just like really into your show. <laughs> it reminds me of like... I appreciate that, man. Honestly, like... That makes it all worth it when you hear people say stuff like that. And yeah, it takes yeah, me yeah. back. It takes me back to my childhood. It's almost like... Um, it's like the narratives that I had when I'd play like Final Fantasy games on like Super Nintendo and even the Nintendo NES, like the original. Um, I go way back with it. Um, it was like the narratives that you would have to draw in your own mind for the game, these simple games that you were playing. So it's like... It kind of takes me back. It's really fun. Awesome. <laughs> so before we uh, get into a little game, uh, a friend or foe, I have a couple questions left for you. Um, so my first one is, what's your favorite part of putting this podcast together? My favorite part is when it's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, we totally get that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it begins and I'm excited. And, and then I get into the grind of doing it. And you, you guys are podcasters, so you know that most of your work is done like after midnight on a work day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we're talking, it's two, 3 a.m. in the morning and I got to get up at 4.30 to go to work and I'm piecing together uh, narratives. But when it all comes together in the end, it's, it's, it's beautiful, but it takes like a writer. One of the core skills of writing is you write down all this information and then you have to figure out how to pare it down to its smallest form. Yeah. Because it's about making, it's about communicating with the least amount of words, but keeping it poetic. The same thing when you're producing an audio drama is you want to convey the fullness of your story, the fullness of your message, but you want to keep it tight as small as possible and construct it poetically. So it's, it's, it's interesting to listen to and engage. And that process is, is really hard and time consuming. And then you add the fact that when you're writing a story and you're the person writing it, you know where it's going to begin, you know where it's going to end. You have complete control over that story. And if nothing, nothing fits, you change it. Yeah. I don't have control over this story. It's so collaborative, right? Yeah. So, huh. yeah. I mean, we could play tomorrow and one of my characters could die. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. One of the main characters, like, one the main character can die. And it's not like, you know, The Walking Dead where you get to, like, uh, where you get to, uh, you know, build up to the fact that somebody might yeah. die. It's just, no, there could be some bad dice rolls and now this guy is gone. He got stabbed in the eye or whatever. And it's interesting. He's gone. Now we got to introduce a new character. It's interesting, man. Like um, all good writers know that writing is actually a process of editing, right? And I'm working with a student right now who is like applying for grad school and it's just editing. It's not actually writing. We write very little. It's just a process of boiling it down, boiling it down. But then you got these wild cards of this uh, dynamic collaborative process that you got going on. So I think that's kind of what make that's the secret sauce almost. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I got, I got a perfect answer for that question where you asked me what my favorite part of this process is. My favorite part of this process is when I receive the audio files 
from Dan. Yeah. It, it's yeah. like Chris, it's like Christmas because <laughs> yeah. that's when the story really comes to life. When I hear, you know, Kronos is barreling chest, threatening to like, you know, skewer somebody in the head or whatever. Or when, uh, Darieth comes to life with his, you know, insanely sharp sarcasm. Yeah. So it's that, that, that moment when your text comes to life. Yeah. And he really does bring it, bring it to life. Um, so I have a question for you. That's a little bit out of left field, but I, when I was listening to that, uh, show you're on where you were being interviewed about your fandom, um, what was the show called again? Um, oh, ta- ta- tales from the, yeah, fandom. yeah. Uh, tales from the fandom. Tales that's from a cool fandom. show too. Yeah. That's a show I'm going to give yeah. a deep listen to as well. Um, you that guy is great. David Ginsburg is really great. Yeah, like, yeah he's a he cool seems, guy. So he seems you guys awesome. should. Well, I was like when I was listening to your episode, I was like, "Oh, what am I going to talk about when I'm on the show?" So, <laughs> I mean, like, so yeah, he's doing well. Um, so you mentioned one fandom where my arms shot up in the air. I'm like, "Yes, I'm going to get along with this guy." Would you mind talking about why you love Firefly? Oh, come on, man, because Firefly is the perfect culmination of space and time and all things that cannot be measured. It just came together perfectly. Uh, Joss Whedon created this science fiction story that's not your typical Star Wars or Star Trek story with these nuanced characters where they're like good guys, but they're not like perfect paragons of morality. and um I, we could talk hours for Firefly. <laughs> I, I don't, wh- I don't wh- know. Wh- like I, cause like Firefly was introduced to me by my friend, um, Ashley Turner. I'll give her a shout out. She likes my posts on Facebook. Um, uh, and I, as soon as I started watching it, I'm like, this is a Western set in science fiction times. And then the other thing that jumped out at me is that only two languages, um, exist. It's, uh, like Mandarin or Cantonese and English. Right. So I thought that was really interesting. And then, the characters are so rich as well, right? And I think, for me, I don't know, this This just popped in my head. I have to say that every episode. Um, but I think that's why your characters are so rich. Like, I think that's also why you like Firefly, because there's that crossover there, developing characters and giving a richness to their personality. Multidimensionality, yeah, that, I guess. Yeah. That, that's pretty common in all my writing. I actually wrote a science fiction book as well. And Really? Uh, What's it called? It, uh, it's called Victoria. Okay. So oh, it's, it's just like the capital of British Columbia. Exactly. Like Queen Victoria. Um, there you go. <laughs> and that's uh, available, you know, wherever, Amazon or whatever. Um, but Awesome. Uh, well, I'll get Phil to blast out a link or whatever. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't bringing yeah. it up to promote. But... No, no, no. I uh, Like, we're both huge fans of science fiction, and uh, I've just discovered through doing this podcast with Phil uh, this whole genre of social science fiction. Yeah. So, like, like I'm back into the mode of reading uh, in that genre. So, for sure. It, well, it, that story is packed with tons of characters. Like I couldn't figure out. It's it's like I, like a half dozen main characters, and it's all because I I just have this deep interest in in writing the character development and expressing different ideas from those different point of views. Just like Firefly, mm-hmm. you know, Captain Mao it was a um, yeah. is a defeated rebel. That's where you start the right. story from is yeah. he's a defeated man. Yeah, no, and I like it too. And it's also common for like uh, people's first novel where it's just like, I got to put every single character in here that I've ever thought about. And then um, that just encourages you to write more novels, man. So keep up the writing process and, and keep pumping out the content, man. Um, so uh, so remind people, like I, I heard 
like how often do your episodes come out? Like typically, uh, like you're obviously not a weekly show because it takes you a hundred hours. There's not literally not enough time in a week <laughs> to uh, get that all down. So, so how often do we expect your releases and stuff? I try my best to release one once a month and then the writing process is very intense. So you can kind of think of it as like seasons, right? To where I write a whole bunch and then I spend the time producing and releasing everything that I've written monthly. And then when I've run out of what I've written, the show is kind of like on pause as I have to go data mine all that information from Facebook, organize it and write it. And what I'm hoping to do is to do like six month seasons, basically, to where I write enough for about six episodes, produce those episodes, release them monthly, then take a pause, work on the next six. And I try to get them out as fast as possible. Uh, with that kind of release timeline uh, in our minds, what can you give us as a juicy detail for what's next in uh, The Curse of Silver Lake? And you already kind of talked a little bit about how the Volitnikovs are going to be th- like thrust into this kind of Western world with six shooters and all that stuff. But what else can you give us? Silver Lake is about to become a very dark place. Sweet. At the, <laughs> at the end of episode six, basically as the as that door closed on our heroes, Silver Lake existed in the state that you've come to know and love it in. When that door opens, it's a completely different Silver Lake. Things have gone very, very wrong. Wow. Okay. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. Uh, I think Matt's looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah. I, I see him kind of smiling and nodding on here. my face right now, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, before we get before we get onto the next little fun thing that's not podcast related at all, uh, do you have any advice for players or podcasters looking to start, you know, their own game or looking to transform a game that they have in mind into a podcast? Uh, the best piece of advice is do it. Nice. Uh, we always uh, give that advice it, too, man. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, all these people have these dreams. They they listen to podcasts and like, oh, I would love to do that. And then they don't do it. So you are a unique individual with unique experiences and you have a story to tell the world. And out of the five billion people on this planet, there are people who are interested in that story, but they'll never hear it if you don't do it. Mm. So it's uh, like the uh, greatest journeys always start with one step, right? Amen. J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> there yeah, you go. we got to be the bravest step is the first step of we all. Got to be there Frodo in this. Be Frodo. So is that that's kind of the message, right? <laughs> be Frodo. Take the step. Yeah. That's all awesome. right, Anthony. Thank you so much uh, for being on. But before we let you go, uh, we have a little game that we play on some intellectual musings from time to time. Uh, do you want to play a game of friend or foe with us? I would love to play a game of friend. Oh, or thank foe. goodness. Okay. Yeah, I thought you were going to say no. We it, both looked at each other yeah. like, oh no, did we just mess up? Yeah. <laughs> Cause like, I don't know. Like if you would have been like, nah, I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay. Anthony sit silently while me and Phil play friend or foe. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, we haven't told you what the theme is and Matt, Matt and I, uh, just settled on it. Um, so friend or foe, uh, for you and all the listeners is where we kind of debate, banter, talk around if something is our friend if we like it or if it's a foe if it needs to be forgotten maybe uh placed in a bonfire mm. blown up cut into pieces <laughs> yeah. get just 
you know, get rid of it off the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, okay. So today's theme, and I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start with you, Matt. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, Always. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to put the guest on the hot seat just, okay. just yet. So I'm going to start with you, Matt. Friend or foe, soup. <laughs> soup. Um, soup, uh, off the top, is uh, definitely a friend. It's packed with nutrition. Uh, it's ultimately very variable. Um, you know, we can talk about loose soup. We could talk about thick soup. And we could talk about chunky soup. And I see those as three different categories. Um, soup is usually pretty good vegetarian or with meat included. Plus, you can mess around with stocks, you know, a little bone marrow stock. I know Phil knows about that. Um, I I would like to maybe talk about reheating soup if we have a, a chance. And, and maybe at the end, we can kind of finish with some tips or tricks. So I am a huge fan of soup. And I'm looking forward to eating some of the soup that Phil just made for me. Okay, so uh, soup is a friend for Matt. Anthony, Big fan. soup, friend or foe? Soup is an evil temptress. That wants to destroy us all. <laughs> I love it. Soup has snuck into our lives and given us these little tidbits, these little moments where it's so warm and comforting on a cold day, on a cold night, you don't feel good. You're sick. Oh, I'm soup. I took care of you. I love you. Right. And that's what you think about soup. But you go prepare a bowl of soup right now. You're not going to get that experience. That's not what's going to happen. That, that's what you're going to want. Just a letdown. Just a letdown. But what you're going to get is a bowl that's so hot, you can't even hold it. And oh, each spoon, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you take that spoonful up and you smell it and it's so good. And it's, mm, I've, oh, this is going to be great. And it touches your lips and you get scalded. And then you think, <laughs> oh, okay, I just, but you got to wait like five hours for the soup to cool down before you can eat it and it just messes with you and you totally could have had like some pizza or something yeah and it's like the core temperature right like when you stick the spoon like when you go drive a spoon into a bowl of soup you're going right in the middle right and it just cooks it's almost like chucking a meat thermometer in something yeah so for anthony soup is uh the evil uh the the evil bane of our existence but it's a temptress right so like you there are positive elements of soup as well well this is what i wanted to talk about okay so i enjoy broccoli i love broccoli like i like it in uh stir fries i like it steamed i can just eat it raw Uh, right out of the fridge raw yeah Yeah. raw unwashed maybe in a little dip uh i enjoy it uh you know in all those varieties uh with cheese sauce now you'd think Mm. i'd love a broccoli soup and sometimes i do but you know what really gets to me on a broccoli soup where there is almost no broccoli in it. Mm, and, then, a and, then, of broccoli. and then you keep eating the bowl. It's a florette. And in your mind, you're thinking, eventually I'm going to get a nice chunk of broccoli, but you never do. Mm. You just get those little pieces of green that are stuck all, yeah. all in between your teeth and around the bowl. Yeah, just the whispers, right? Yeah. So how are your feelings about broccoli soup, Anthony? <laughs> well, that whole thing applies to everything. What if you're not trying to eat broccoli soup? What if it's like a, a delicious clam chowder and you're looking for mm. that last piece of clam, but there's only like two pieces of clam in there. Yeah. Huh. See, soup s- soup is not your friend. Huh. I'm not even sure what soup's overall plan is <laughs> for the destiny of mankind, but it's not no. good. Oh, and, and like, I think it just wants us to be unhappy. Actually, that's what it is. It just wants to spread despair and hopelessness. Yeah, and it, you know, when I look at all the varieties of chicken soup, I think how many 
sad chickens there are out there because they, they just wanted to be in soup, but instead they just kind of passed through the broth. Like they, they just walked mm. through it, you know? Mm. So there's like, <laughs> there's a scent of chicken in your chicken broth soup, but really it's, there's no chicken in there. And it's funny, the despair of trying to get those bits of broccoli out of your teeth or the despair when you bite into what you think is a scallop in a clam chowder or something sort of hunk yeah. of fish turns out to be a potato. Yeah. I mean, that's a travesty. Yeah, that is. Um, question, Anthony. Um, do they have red clam chowder down in the States? And if so, what do they call it? The red is typically called uh, Boston. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. Boston, Boston clam it's chowder. Famous yeah. at, and it's it's considered an East Coast thing, yeah. Oh, really? Because it's a famous staple at um, a Canadian uh, West Coast regional restaurant called White Spot. Um, and what White Spot is known for is their chocolate milkshakes that come in uh, where they bring that middle, like the rest of the milkshake with it. Um, and also the red clam chowder. See, but they have to bring you something cold because you've just burnt off your lips trying to eat this chowder, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, so they yeah. know what's up with soup. Yeah, I absolutely. think we just learned a lesson yeah, yeah. <laughs> about milkshakes and how they're the heroes of humanity. <laughs> that will be for another one. But okay, uh, round, uh, Matt, soup, friend or foe? Huge friend. Huge friend. I'm a soup ally. Soup ally. Anthony, I don't think it's anybody but friend or foe. The worst enemy of, yeah, of humanity. It's, it's, a, mm. it's an enemy. Tempting. Um, I, like <laughs> sometimes I do, I'm coming in the middle of this. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, life is full of expectations, folks. And if we don't have hope, we have nothing. So when, wah, I, when I'm looking at those cans of soup, I have hope. <laughs> Which, you know, quickly falls into despair. But at least I had hope for those seconds. So soup <laughs> gives me a, a little bit of hope in my day. <laughs> Beautiful. Anthony, it was great having you on. Thanks for putting up with us. It was an absolute pleasure. And um, have we let the good folks know how they yeah. can reach Anthony? How can we reach you? Okay, so the Curse of Silver Lake is available on iTunes. We have a website, silverlake.edgeoftheweb.net. Our Facebook page is probably the best place where you can find us and find out about what's going on with the show. And if you're so inclined, even follow along with the, gla- uh, with the game. Uh, it's facebook.com slash RPG. And chances are, if you just Google the curse of Silver Lake, you're going to find us. Well, thank you again, Anthony, for coming on. Everyone, check out the curse of Silver Lake. Uh, it's a great audio drama of the game and much more, as we've talked about. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, you can check us out on our Twitter at the underscore SIM underscore POD. You can check us out on Facebook at The SimPod. You can send Matt and I an email at semiintellectual at gmail.com. Our website that includes the archives and full episodes to this show is thesim.podbean.com. We'd love for you to leave us uh, a rating and a review. Uh, uh, you know, this is from another podcast, but I hear five stars is pretty good. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Five is a good number. Yeah. Four is good enough. Uh, I'll take a four right now. Oh, come on. <laughs> all right. We're going to sign out. Um, talk to you all next week. Thank you so much, folks. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you again, Anthony. Thank you. I got my first D20. Came in red box DMD. Colored numbers and with the crayon. Was the summer of 83 Me and my brother This kid named Terry Played the game In our front yard Seventh grade Terry found girls And let the game win His weakness got hard Oh, and if I look back now 
Time's up. 